Lord began to drop this, these things in my heart. And so this morning, the title of my message is In the Middle. And, um, you know, and I think that so many times just in my own life and, uh, you know, if we were all honest and said, how many of you are currently believing God for something that you've yet to see? A lot of hands would go up in this room. And, um, you know, because, and, and it may be big things, it may not be big things, it may be small things, but, you know, there's so much that we can learn in the process of what God is doing in our life. And so this morning I want to share with you specifically uh, one account from Scripture, but uh, I believe there's lots of lessons to be learned. So if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at the story of a man named Jairus. Now, Jairus was a Jewish man. He was actually a godly man. He, was, uh, he worked at the church, if you will. He worked at the synagogue, and that was his life. And yet, he was in desperate need of God to work and for God to move uh, on his behalf. And so, uh, you know, he had heard about Jesus. He'd heard the reports about who Jesus was, what Jesus was doing. And yet, he was, had a dilemma, to say the least. And uh, so, starting here in Uh, Mark chapter 5, I'm going to start reading in verse 21, read through verse 24, just to give us some context here. And it says that after Jesus returned from across the lake, a huge crowd of people quickly gathered around him. So here's Jesus, he's getting off the boat and what? All these people show up because that's what happened with Jesus. Crowds would always assemble. And, And so it goes on and it says that just then a man saw that it was Jesus, so he pushed through the crowd and he threw himself at the feet of Jesus. Now, needless to say, this is making a scene, and, and this was a very, uh, w- you know, one of the things about the spiritual elites of the day was they were all about outward posture. It was all about how they looked and their dignity and their robes and all that, you know, that outward appearance that mattered so much. And yet, we see this where, where Jairus, who's a Jewish official, comes and throws himself at the feet of Jesus. I mean, this would be like gasp-worthy in their culture, like, <gasps> He just did this, and yet he's, he, but he's, he's desperate. Have you ever been desperate for God to do something? And you're like, look, I don't care what people think. <laughs> like, that's, that's beside the point. And it says, it goes on, it says that his name was Jairus, a Jewish official who was in charge of the synagogue. And he pleaded with Jesus over and over. And he said, please come with me. You ever prayed like that? Just, God, please do something. Please help me. And he goes on and he says, my little daughter is at the point of death. I believe it's Luke's account that says this was his only daughter. So this was the only daughter he has. So it says that she's at the point of death. She's only 12 years old. Come and lay your hands on her and heal her and she will live. What a declaration of faith in this moment. Jairus says, look, Jesus, I have heard about you. And what I've heard about you is if you'll come lay your hands on my daughter, she will live. She's at the point of death. But if you will come with me, she'll be well. And I know this. Isn't it amazing like when when we face something? Or maybe it's a scripture that just comes alive. How like absolute like just pure faith we have. Just like, God, I see this promise in Scripture. I see what you'll do. And, man, we have this just like, I mean, just like this tenacity about us. Just like it's going to happen. There's this just absolute fact. And I I love this about Jairus. He didn't care what everybody else thought. He needed a miracle. And he knew that Jesus was the one who could do the miracle. 
And it says, and I love this as well. It says, and Jesus went with him. Jairus comes, he humbles himself. He says, Jesus, please come to my house. And Jesus says, okay. He just won the lottery. He got what he was looking for. Jesus is a healer and he needs some healing in his house. Jesus says, I'll come, and the crowd follows. And yet, because of this mass crowd, it says that everyone is pressing on Jesus. And so in this moment, something goes awry, at least in Jairus' mind. Now, just from Scripture, let me paint you the picture of what's happening. Jairus goes to Jesus. Jesus says, I'll come. And Jairus says, okay, what? Follow me. Right? Why? Because we're going to Jairus' house and Jesus doesn't know where he lives. Right? So he begins walking. Jesus is most likely behind him and they've probably gotten separated by the crowd a little bit. And then all of a sudden Jairus hears some commotion behind him. He, he was set. Jesus was coming. To his house, he was going to lay hands on his daughter. She was going to be well, and yet now there's this loud commotion. There's all this stuff going on in the background. And Jairus turns around, and what? Jesus has stopped. Wait, Jesus, you said you were coming to my house. You, you were coming to lay, to lay your hands upon my daughter. I'm, I'm desperate. Like this, We can't wait, Jesus. Why are you stopping? Now, if we're honest, we've all had prayers like that. God, where are you? <laughs> I have prayed. I, I, I've got scriptures. I've been confessing your word. I, I have everybody I know praying, and yet it seems like nothing is happening. Jesus, where are you at? Can you imagine what's going through Jairus' mind in this moment? Like, Jesus, stop playing around. What, what are you doing? Come on. I need you. It's desperate right now. And yet what happens is, and we won't read it, but verses 25 through 29, there's an interruption in Jairus' plan. He had a picture of how this was going to go down. And yet we read it and we call this woman the woman with the issue of blood. Jairus said this, if you'll come to my house and lay hands on my daughter, she'll be made well. But this woman who had been bleeding for years and years and years, the Bible says she had spent everything she had on doctors, and, and yet she didn't get any better. As a matter of fact, she got worse. But she kept saying within herself, if I'll touch the hem of his garment, she had also heard about Jesus. She had also heard that he was a healer. She had also heard about great and mighty miracles that had happened. Well, she needed a miracle too. And at the risk of her life, she's in public. Because in their culture, if you had any type of ailment as what she had, you could not be in public. Not only is she in public, she's in a crowd. If they would have found her and known her disease, they would have stoned her to death without question. That was the penalty. And yet she's risking her life because she had heard about Jesus. She pushes through the crowd. She gets to Jesus. She grabs hold of, the, of, of the, just the hem of his garment, the Bible says. And it says immediately the flow of blood was stopped. And so there's this commotion. Jesus is like, hey, who's touched me? And the disciples are like, are you kidding me? Like you ever been to like a, like a, like a big game? Like 100,000 people kind of thing? 
and it's just like this. You feel like a sardine, like you're getting pushed through. Yeah, and Jesus is like, hey, who touched me? Like, Jesus, who didn't touch you? Everybody's trying to touch you. Because I'm sure many people had heard, just like this woman did, that if you, if you can just get to Jesus, you can just touch him, you can get healed. Everybody's probably touching him. He's mobbed by people, and Jairus is probably going, Jesus, where did you go? He probably can't even see him in this moment. And yet this woman has received healing. Have you ever been believing God for something and then had somebody else receive what you were believing for? Talk about frustrating. Like, wait, God, that was my miracle. I was the one that needed you to work. I was the one that needed you to come through for me. Why did you do it for them? That can be very frustrating. It can make you pray really honest prayers to God. God, I mean, how do I not know that that's the one miracle Jesus had for today and she got it? Jesus, I was first. You said you would come to my house. I mean, sometimes we can read the scripture like they're just stories. These are people. Put yourself in their shoes. If I'm Jairus, I am not happy that this lady just got her miracle. As a matter of fact, she has now become a detour to what Jesus said he was going to do for me. She has now delayed the very promise of God in my life. And I need him. I mean, can you imagine? Because I would assume that Jairus was not walking gingerly, leading Jesus. Like, oh, just come on, I'll wait. I'll wait. No, I think he was a passionate father who wanted his daughter to be made well. And short of running, I'm sure he was at least mall walking. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he's, he's speed walking like a woman on a mission to get to the sale. Jairus is, so I would venture to say that there was probably a little bit of distance between Jairus and Jesus. And he probably turned around when he heard the noise and thought, uh-oh, where's Jesus? He's not with me. He said he would come. But yeah, there's been this moment. There's, there's been this interruption of the plan and all of a sudden it, 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 it's just this craziness. See, here's one of the things that I want to encourage you with this morning. And it's a little statement that I've just kind of held on to. Why? Because there's times in my life that I'm in the middle of things. There's times that I've prayed and, and I've been asking God and, and it just seems like nothing's happening. And, 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 it, and you can get frustrated. You can become weary in the waiting, right? But this is a truth, and, I, and I'll, I'll support it here in a moment, is that this. Is that just because that your promise may get delayed doesn't mean that you've been denied. Just because what you've been asking God for seems to be delayed, seems like it's not coming, seems like it's not happening when we thought it should, how it should. God, why are you not doing what I've asked you to do? Don't think that the delay means that God has not heard you or that God is not working on your behalf or that somehow that you've been denied and God just said, I answer lots of prayers, but I'm not gonna answer that one. In scripture, we read about the prophet Daniel that it says that he prayed to the Lord and it took 21 days for an angel to get to him. But I love what the angel said to him. When he got there, he said, hey, Daniel, from the day that you began to pray, your answer was coming. But the enemy has withheld it. 
See, sometimes we can think that we're just living a natural world, natural life, and that there's, no, there's a whole spirit realm at work. And a lot of times we talk about the devil, and we talk about the enemy, we talk about these different things, but you know, there are more on our side than on his side. The Bible says a third of the angels were cast out of heaven. Well, that, I'm a math person, a third leaves two-thirds, right? So we still have angels that are working on our behalf. So from the moment that we begin to pray, God begins to work. But sometimes there's resistance. Sometimes there's things that God needs to work in us. There's things that, you know, and it doesn't matter what it is. You may not be in desperate need of a miracle in the area of healing, but maybe it's a promotion that you know that you should get, but you keep getting passed up. They just keep just... Time after time after time. Maybe it's a new job that God said he's going to bring you. And, and, and you're like, man, this is going to be awesome. When it gets here. God, could you tell me when that's going to be? Like, I would love that. It would be great. See, we can get frustrated many times in the moments of waiting. When we're in the middle of what God is doing and we can't see what God is doing. See, I believe that God works a lot more than, than we even know. I believe that's one of the things when we get to heaven, God's going to show us our life, the Bible says, in a moment of time. And we're going to see how much God was working in the background that we never knew about. Like, that was you and you were there. And, man, I thought I, thought I was by myself. I didn't know that I had an angel with me right then. I had no idea. And yet God was working all the time. Working all the time. Working all the time. Moving, orchestrating, putting things into place, putting things into motion the whole time. And yet, we have to what? Hold to our faith. Stick to what we've been believing God for. Why? Because he is faithful. The Bible picks up here in verse 34, Jesus speaking to the woman with the issue of blood. And he says, daughter, because you dared to believe. I love that. Because you dared to believe. Because you were just crazy enough to say, the Bible says it and I'm going to believe it. Because you dared to believe, your faith has healed you. Now, that's an interesting statement to me. Because it doesn't say, because of your faith, I have healed you. Because that's what she said. If I can get to Jesus and touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. Well, that would make sense. Jesus is the healer, and yet Jesus doesn't say, I healed you. He says, because you dared to believe, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. That, that thing that you've been praying for, that thing you've been believing God for, that thing you've been standing for, that's the reason that you got healed. Because lots of people were touching Jesus that day. If Jesus was just an autonomous healer, anybody who touched him would just instantly get healed. But that's not what we read. One lady touched him to the point that Jesus even recognized it and said, who touched me? And everybody's touching. Yeah, but somebody touched me with faith. Somebody touched me with a place of belief, he said, because I felt some power go out of me. And that's the moment, and yet Jesus tells her, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free of your suffering. And it goes on, as the story continues, and it says, before he had finished speaking, people arrived from Jairus' house and pushed through the crowd to give Jairus the news. It says, there's no need to trouble the master any longer. Your daughter has died. But Jesus refused to listen to what they were told. And he turned to Jairus and says, don't yield to fear. All you need to do 
is to keep believing. See, you may be facing something today or you will face something that you've been believing God for and it looks like, hey, it's over. That's, that's the end of it. And yet Jesus tells Jairus, he looks at him. Why? Because he had just gotten this catastrophic news. Jairus, it's over. She's dead. No, there's no need for Jesus to come. Don't, don't bother him. And yet it says that Jesus refused to listen to them. And he looks at Jairus and says, hey, don't yield to fear. Don't give in. Don't let go of what you've been holding on to. Jairus, the story is not over. It's still being written, but it may look like it's over. He says, keep believing. One translation says it this way. Only believe. Only believe. You know, I'm amazed how many times that when we face things in life, it seems like everybody we know has a theory for what or how to fix our problem. Even Christians. Oh, man, you know, you need provision. Well, let me tell you, God provided for me. We did A, B, C, and D, and God provided. And then you go to somebody else, and it's like, we did, you know, whatever. And it's totally different. And you, so you get all of this information. All, everybody's telling you all these things of how God worked for them. And you're like, well, which one do I do? See, the truth is, is that we stay with the word of God. God is not a God that will be reduced to theory or to even the way that he does it. Now, the other side of this is that we'll have people that will come and they're going to say, well, I knew somebody who was believing God for that and it didn't happen. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But Why? Because everybody has opinions. But yet Jesus is saying what? Just believe. Stick to what I'm telling you. Don't deviate. Don't listen. I mean, this was not the time for Jairus to start asking everyone's opinion around him. Hey, should I listen to Jesus? Hey, Peter, should I just go home? Hey, John, you guys know him. Y'all been around him. How does this work? And yet Jesus didn't say, hey, talk to people around you. He just said, Jairus, believe. Just believe. Keep believing. Keep holding on to what that, that you've been asking God for. In Mark chapter 9, we see a, a fairly familiar passage, or really a story. There was a man who had a demon-possessed son. And he brings his, this boy, who the Bible said had been just afflicted since he was born, to the disciples, Jesus' disciples. And it says that they could do nothing. And so this man comes to Jesus. And picking up in the second part of verse 22, he says, have mercy on us and help us if you can. And Jesus responds and says, what do you mean if I can? There's no if I can. It's not if I can do it. Jesus says anything is possible again to the person who believes. See, we have to be active in our faith. It's not just, well, God's going to do it all. No, there's an act of faith that has to be. And Jesus says that anything is possible if a person believes. And the Father instantly responds. And he says, I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. It's one of the most honest statements, I think, in all of Scripture. Because this man is here and he says, Jesus, I do believe. And so many times we want to act like these great people of faith. Like we have no questions. And that's just not true. 
I mean, I, I, I've been around some people that I consider faith giants. People that, man, they just seem like they pray and God just does and all this stuff. But in conversation with them, I can tell, man, I, I didn't have all the answers. And I just think, man, I thought you always had the answers. You always seemed like that you did. And it always seemed like God just worked for you. But when you talk to people, guess what? We all have thoughts. No one just has faith all the time. Sometimes we have some, even some doubt, some unbelief, some question. And I love this prayer because he says, I do believe. Just help me in the areas where I have some unbelief going on. See, I believe that faith doesn't mean that we, ha- that we won't have unanswered questions. That's what we can think. I thought that way for a long time. I thought that if I had faith, I would just never have a question. I would just be rock solid in my belief in God, and I would just stick to the word, and and, and that would just be enough. Until I faced something, and I started having questions. Until I was in the middle of something, having my questions, going, God, this isn't fair. God, you said you were going to do this, and then you did it for them. What about me? See, what faith is, is that it actually means that we believe in spite of our unanswered questions. I know my questions. I, I know where I have areas that, that maybe I don't, am not fully convinced, although I want to be fully convinced. Lord, help me be fully convinced, but I'm not there right now. But even in the midst of my questions, I choose, in the face of my question, I choose to believe. That's faith. Because if you have everything answered, guess what you don't need? Faith. Why? Because then you have knowledge. Faith is the belief in the face of uncertainty. That's what faith really is. But it's in the middle where we can become weary and we can become frustrated by the wait, by that in-between moment And it's important that we know how to handle those times, those moments of that in-between. Because that's where the battle's won and lost, really. I mean, the Bible says, and it's very clear, that what Jesus did for us, it was finished. It's done. Okay, but we have to now apply that. Well, how do we do that? How do we actually move from being in the middle to actually getting an answer? Let me... We're going to continue the story of Jairus because Jesus does some things here that are so important. So we pick up in verse 37. It says, then Jesus stopped the crowd. So they've gotten to Jairus' house. The whole woman, the issue of blood, the commotion that that created. They've gotten to Jairus' house and the crowd has just, the mob has just gone with them. And Jesus stops everyone. And he says he wouldn't let anyone go in to Jairus' house except for Peter, James, and John. Now there's lots of reasons, but that I believe that this is the case. But in verse 38, we see this. It says, when Jesus came to the home of Jairus, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. Well, that seems logical, right? Why? Because a 12-year-old girl has just passed away. People are heartbroken. They see something as final. And yet Jesus shows up. says, he went inside the house and he asked, why all this commotion and why the weeping? This child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And it says the crowd laughed at him. Can you imagine? Jesus, the Messiah, the healer, the miracle worker. 
is standing in the room. They're crying, weeping, mourning. And he says, she's not dead, and they laugh. I, can't, I cannot put that together in my brain. But maybe if I was there that day, I don't know. I, I, I just can't. To me, it just goes beyond all reason. They laughed at him. But I love this part. It says, but he made them all leave. <laughs> he kicked them all out. He says, hey, get out of the room. Why? You know, as I was studying this and reading this, one of the things, it was a commentary that I'd read, and I loved what it said, is that Jesus took authority over that room. You know, conditions matter for God to work. The condition of a room matters. And Jesus realizes, look, they're all mocking me. They're all mourning. They're all, you know, they've got all these things. All this doubt is in the room. Everybody is saying she's dead, but Jesus said something different. So he's like, if you think she's dead, step out the room. Why? Because he needed the, 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 the energy, if you will, the atmosphere of that room needed to change for God to work. See, and, and there's a lesson in this for us. Is when we're believing God, we have to be careful who we're listening to, who we're giving place to, who we're allowing to, to speak their opinions into our life. Because everybody has an opinion, but not all of them are good opinions. And there's a lot of very good, well-meaning people that, that they want, they love you, they want the best for you. And they may be trying to comfort you, and God's trying to get a miracle to you. But if you'll turn away from your belief and turn towards their comfort, guess what you don't get? The miracle. Why? Because Jesus told Jairus, only believe. See, so many times there can be all this noise around us. All these distractions, and yet we've got to get focused in these moments. Get focused with our faith. See, we have to get around people. The Bible talks about of like precious faith. You're like, what does that mean? You got to get around people who believe the way that you believe. You need to be talking with people who, who understand Scripture or maybe even better, even understand it maybe at a different level than you do. And say, look, I'm not there yet, but I believe that you know how to work and I need you to help me walk this thing out in faith. You got to get around some people that will what? That will encourage you that will pick you up, that will speak God's word to you, that will send you little texts, hey, I'm praying for you, here's a scripture. I'm with you in this, you're not alone. It's so important to have these people in your life where they come around. Why? Because your expectation needs to rise up. That's what faith is. It's a confident expectation of what? Of good. God is working on my behalf, and this is not gonna end the way that it looks like. But God is in the midst of this moment. And so you've got to be around people that have a similar expectation as you. You don't want to be hanging out with the doubters and the criers. You want to be around people of faith. They're going to say, just keep believing. Don't let go. Keep believing. I'm standing with you. It's these people who remind you of the promise. I've had my friends do this to me. Where I told them something. And sometimes it's been even years in the making. And they'll take me back and be like, what did God tell you in the beginning? Because I'd forgotten. 
Not that I'd forgotten, but I wasn't thinking about it. I said, well, I felt like the Lord told me this. And they said, well, what's changed? What's changed? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> You're right. And I have to what? Make that adjustment. And like, you know what? The one who called, the one who spoke is faithful. He's faithful to what, what he put in my heart. See, people like this, they encourage you. Your expectation will begin to stir up. It'll cause faith to rise up in you. So you want to put yourself around people that what? Build you up, not bring you down. Doesn't mean that you just cast them aside, but you just say, right now, I don't need to be around you. Because <laughs> I can tell you, Jairus didn't care that Jesus kicked those people out the room. It didn't matter to him. He could care less what they thought. Now, this is kind of off subject, but it's too good of a moment not to, to share this. Just as much as we need this sometimes, we need to be these kind of people. We need to be these kind of people of faith that, man, that we come around each other. We rally around one another. We're speaking words of faith. We're, we're, we're encouraging one another, building each other up. Why? Because if you'll be there for somebody else when you need it, guess who's going to be at your door? That person you've been fighting with. That person you stood with in the past. That's the value of relationships. See, I believe it's one of the reasons, and even what we see here, and this is kind of a, a sub-point, if you will. I believe it's one of the reasons why it's so important to come to church. I mean, I love technology. It's great. But you know, one thing that, and I'm not saying that God is limited by this. Look, I've watched services online. I don't... All kinds of things. It's a good alternative. It's not a replacement. Why? Because there is a difference, and I know we have people watching right now. There's a difference in watching on a screen and being in this room. Why? Because I have been in rooms where the Spirit of God comes and the atmosphere changes. It's not because of anything that I'm doing. It's, it's the collectiveness of the, of the body of Christ coming together and just something begins to stir up and, the, the, and faith begins to rise. And, and you're in the middle of these moments where God does something. That's part of why it's so important. The man that, hey, being here on a Sunday, being here when we gather, it's important. Why? Because the atmosphere matters. Corporate worship sets a different atmosphere than I can set by myself. But it matters. In verse 40, it goes on here of Mark 5, and it says that Jesus took the girl's father and mother and three disciples into the room where this young girl was, was lying. It says, holding her hand, he said to her, you can attempt that, but he says, little girl, get up. Get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around, and they were overwhelmed and totally Amazed. Totally amazed. Because there was death and then all of a sudden they, the people outside the room could hear the, the little patter of a 12-year-old. It's like, wait a second, five adults just walked in there. But I hear what sounds like a little girl skipping around a room. I thought that was over. Well, what you thought was not accurate. What Jesus said was true. What they had diagnosed as death, Jesus said, she's taking a nap. And sometimes things can look like death. They can look like, man, that situation, that thing I've been believing for, that, that circumstance I've been believing, it looks like it's over. And the truth is it's dormant. It's not dead. 
There's a big difference. We see that through the seasons. Winter looks like death, right? But what does winter give way to? Spring and life and color and all these things. And you know what? And there's a purpose for that dormant time. And sometimes God is working in those moments of of that dormancy in our life. and, And we don't like it, but God says, look, I have to work in you. He doesn't cause the bad things to come. He doesn't need to. But he is concerned and ultimately concerned with, uh, with our development. And so he will use the things that the enemy brings into our life to what? To help us to grow. He doesn't bring them, but he will use them. And here we see this story where Jairus, he what? He received the very thing that he believed for, but why? He was interrupted. There was this whole chaotic moment that he could have just all reason said, it's over. And yet he did, obviously he did what Jesus told him to do. He said, only believe. Only believe. Just keep believing, keep standing. Don't let go of that thing that you were so convinced of because what did Jairus say in the very beginning? If you will come, you will lay hands on her and she will be made well. That's pretty definitive. He was convinced that that which he had said he was, that Jesus would do. Well, he had never moved off of what he believed. Didn't mean that he didn't have some doubts. The fact that Jesus told him, only believe, tells me that he had some doubt in that moment. It's the only reason Jesus would tell him, don't give to fear. Don't, don't yield to that fear. Just believe. See, every time that we see Scripture, that you know, the Bible is full, thousands of promises to us. Thousands of promises. And the Bible says that Jesus fulfilled every one of those promises. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, it says this, that Jesus is the Son of God, and he is the one whom Timothy, Silas, and I have preached to you. And he has never been both yes and no. He has always been, or has always been and will always be for us a resounding yes. For all of God's promises find their yes and fulfillment in him. All of God's promises. If you're saved, then everything in the Bible is yours. That's what the Bible just said. If you can find a promise in Scripture, it belongs to you. Doesn't mean that you're not going to have to stand. Doesn't mean that you're not going to have to stand and believe God. It doesn't mean that you may have to, to wait to see it fulfilled. But God is faithful to his word. He's committed to it. He says he watches over it to what? To produce it in our life. He's waiting for what? For us to believe his word, to to believe his promises. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. Psalms 145 verse 13 says, The Lord always keeps his promises and he is gracious in all that he does. He's gracious in all that he does, but he's faithful to his promises. His promises to who? To me. He's faithful to his promises to you. He's faithful. He's committed to his word. Now I want to share just a a quick story of, of an instance in my life. Where this was pretty true. Now this was a number of years ago. We were in Kansas. We were... Uh, you know, we were youth pastoring up there, and so, but we had lived for, there for a couple years, and we really had a desire to buy a house. 
Now, I'm just going to be real practical with you for a moment. But we really, man, we wanted to buy a house. But naturally speaking, we didn't have no money. So kind of hard to buy a house without any money. But the only thing I knew to do was let's start looking at houses. We started looking at houses. We went to, I don't know, lots of houses. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots. For two years. Two years believing God that we would have a house. Two years of waiting. Two years of knowing that I had financially, I mean, I'd go meet with the bank because I'm like, well, you know, you got to get a mortgage. Let's go talk to the banker. You know, we'd go sit down with them. They look at our finances. We had a lot of debt at the time. We were the normal 20 something year old American young married couple. Two car notes, lots of debt, you know, all these things. You know, they're asking me questions like, well, hey, what about, you know, you need to get some debt paid off. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 we're going to get that car paid off. And we get in the car and Darren's like, do we have money I don't know about? Because how are we going to pay that car? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm just believing that we're going to pay it off. I ain't, I'm not that far yet. And she was like, okay, well, you said it like we just had some money <laughs> that I didn't know about. I'm just, I'm, I'm walking with God, trusting God. One morning I wake up and I'm getting ready for work and, I, and I'm getting ready to, to leave the house. And we had looked at this one particular house. It was actually the first house we'd ever looked at. And it was really the house that me and Dara kind of judged every other house by. You know, I mean, we really liked the house and this and that. And just, just a thought. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, it was just, and now I know it was the Holy Spirit, but it was just like a random thought. I mean, I'm, I'm walking out, the, I remember it. I was walking out the door and just drive by that house again. I'm like, I'm going to work. <laughs> but it, it happened to be just right around the corner from, from where we were renting. You know, and so I, I was like, I had to look it up. I didn't realize it was so close to the house that we lived in. And, uh, you know, and so I went by there, and sure enough, there was a for sale sign. So I called my realtor, and, you know, I know he probably thought, oh, Lord, he's calling. He probably wants to go look at some more dumb houses. He, this guy's never going to buy a house. And I said, hey, this is David, and that house is back on the market. We want to walk back through it again. Long story short, we bought that house a month later. Now, why in the world they gave me a loan, I still don't know. <laughs> because we hadn't been very, I mean, we had been trying to, to pay off some bills and to pay off some stuff. We hadn't made a whole lot of progress on that. And uh, we'd made some, but not nearly enough. And so I, I just remember being overwhelmed just by the moment. Because I'm thinking, holy cow, because I've been believing God for this thing. Uh, you know, just not for this particular, that's just a house. Well, I mean, from what I was paying in rent to the mortgage, it was going to more than double. So that totally freaked me out. And then I'm thinking, I've got all these bills. I got all this stuff, all this debt that I still have. And I'm freaked out by it. And, you know, the Holy Spirit is so gracious. I remember the night before we closed. I'm laying in bed. It's like 2, 3 in the morning. I'm wide awake, freaked out. Just like, and I don't, you know, that's typically not an issue for me. But on this particular night, like almost in a sweat panic. Because I'm thinking, I'm about to make the biggest mistake of my life. Like, this is a huge risk financially. And I'm so worried. I'm so worried. I just keep, and I kept making the statement, kept having the thought, this is the biggest mistake of your life. This is the biggest mistake of your life. This is the biggest mistake of your life. And finally, the Holy Spirit just spoke up to me. The Holy Spirit is so gracious. And he just said, this isn't going to be the biggest mistake of your life. That would have been marrying the wrong person. And that would have actually cost you a lot more money. And I thought, wow, okay. And I rolled over and I went to sleep. 
Now, here's the end of the story. We lived in that house for five years. I was so worried before we bought that house. I, mean, I just told you, I was laying in bed just worried sick. I'm like, I don't even know if I can pay the electric bill. I'm just trying to pay for the house. We lived in that house for five years. We were never, ever late one time on anything. As a matter of fact, I pretty much paid the bills early for five straight years. That house was a tremendous blessing to us. Not only that, we also got out of debt in those five years. God had supernaturally worked, and we just watched it happen. And it wasn't all at once. It was a process of time. It took us three and a half years to get out of debt, and I was paying for a house that I didn't think I could afford. Now, I'm not telling you to do that. That's not what I'm telling you to do. Be smarter than me. But again, I was trusting God. And I could tell you story after story after story after story of how God provided. Just crazy things. Crazy things. But I was just, I would see something, and I was like, I felt like the Lord told me to do that. I delivered phone books. Made 800 bucks in three weeks. Hey. All right, I felt like I got a, somebody brought me a, a phone book on my doorstep, and it said, hey, need some cash? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. It's a matter of, how does it's prophetic, you know? Who knew? And I, I did that for a couple of weeks. Took that money, paid off some debt. I mean, just, I, mean, I could tell you story after story after story, just how God provided. God provided, God provided, God and in five years, I went from thinking I couldn't, didn't know how I, why in the world a bank would approve me for a loan to being debt-free and having money in the bank. It's crazy. When I sold that house, I think we were, it was our first open house. The air conditioner broke. I mean, it's like Thursday. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but it's, it, it is part of the story. On Thursday, the air conditioner broke. And we have an open house on Sunday. And this is how I knew things were different. Because normally, I would have been just mad, ticked off about it. The guy comes and, you know, because I'd been babying this air conditioner for years, just babying it, babying it. And the guy kept telling me, like, hey, eventually we're going to have to put it, you know, we're going to have to replace it. I'm like, yeah, we're just going to keep putting it off. We're going to keep putting it off. And so the same guy who was always the repair guy came and told me, he said, It's time. He said, there's no more life in it, and I, you know, and so he makes some calls. He says, hey, there's one unit in the state of Kansas that will match this right. I can have it here tomorrow. Do you want me to order it? And I said, sure. Why? Because I actually had the money in the bank to write the check. And I told Dara, I said, man, how, how has God been faithful to us? So different. Because before, my thought would have been like, uh, y'all take credit cards? <laughs> like, can I just add to that number? And yet, in five years, I went from, I don't know how in the world I'd ever buy this house, to something broke, and I didn't even lose my peace over it. That's actually how I knew something was different. It, it was just kind of like, oh, well, it's not what I would have preferred. But hey, somebody, whoever buys this house is going to get a nice new air conditioner. <laughs> Praise God. And, it's, and here's the thing. God didn't do that because I'm special. God did that because I refused to quit. Because I just kept believing. I just kept standing. I, I kept just holding on to, his, to the word. I said, God, I know that, that you have a way of, 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 of providing. You, you've put a desire, I believe you've put this desire in my heart. And if you put the desire there, you have a way to fulfill it. And I believe the same thing is true for you. 
If God puts a desire in your heart, he already has a way for, the, for it to happen. You just got to keep believing. You got to keep standing. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't get frustrated in the waiting. So I want to do something a little different this morning, and I'm not going to take a lot of time to do this, but if you're here this morning and you're in the middle, you're there right now, I'm going to ask you just to stand up where you are because I want to pray over you. I'm not going to call you down here, but I, I believe that, that you're here and you, you may be frustrated, you may be aggravated, there may be things in your life that, that you're just dealing with, and you're like, God, I need you to work. All you're doing by standing is simply it's the acknowledgement of your faith saying, Lord, here I am. I, I'm just acknowledging that I'm in the middle right now. That's all it is. It's just an act of your faith. And I want to pray over you. You're like, well, why do you want to pray over me? Because it's a, I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. I, I, I really believe that prayer makes all the difference. So I want to specifically pray over you this morning. Number one, that you would be encouraged, that you would be strengthened, that your, your faith would be uh, firmed up. But more importantly, that the grace of God is going to come meet you right where you're at right now. That whatever every one of you need, I mean, it, there's different needs all around this room. But that God's grace is going to meet you right there. Father God, I just thank you right now. Father, I thank you that you are the God of our promise. Father, you're the God of its fulfillment. But Father, I thank you that you're the God of the middle as well. So, Father, I just thank you right now for every person who's...